Well, we now have the privilege of hearing from the Word. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as he teaches us more and more about how to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And here to help us with our scripture reading is Jess. Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is God's word. Good morning. My name is Kingsley. I'm one of the pastoral interns at Grace Toronto. Before we begin, let's take a couple moments to, to pray together. Father, I pray for the hearing of your word at this moment. And Lord, as we open up this book, this beautiful book you have written for us, my prayer is that wherever we are on our journey of faith, you would meet with us. You would reveal yourself and all your splendor, and all your beauty, and all your majesty. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts today be pleasing to you. In Christ we pray. Amen. In scholastic folklore studies, the ATU Index was created by three people, Arnie, Thompson, and Uther, and it was created to help catalog, locate, and classify some of the most infamous parables of wisdom that have been embedded into the heart of Western culture. So integral is their existence to our society. Post-secondary institutions around the world have uh, have committed themselves to the in-depth study of these iconic pieces of literature. Perhaps most recognizable is the ATU Index B124 classified piece, which goes something like this. Little pig, little pig, let me come in. The pig said to the wolf, no, no, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house down. And alas, he huffed, and he puffed, and he did blow the straw house down, for the house had not been made very well. The three little pigs taught us that our choices in this life matter. Whether it's choosing to go the extra distance to pick up brick or to take the easy way in life and settle with light straw for a house. Either way, A day will come when the quality of our work will be tested and we will be revealed as either wise beyond measure or foolish beyond reason. The three little pigs, they were concerned about the temporal implications of our choices. In today's text that we're going to be looking at, Jesus is going to show us that what we should really be more concerned about is not the temporal implications, but the eternal implications of our choices. Diving into eternity and drilling deep into the soil of our hearts, Jesus will teach us what matters more than the materials of our house is the foundation we build it on. For the last 23 weeks or so, we have been spending our time in the Sermon of the Mount, and Jesus, as we saw, created a major paradigm shift in the listener's understanding of God's Word. See, unlike the scribes of his day who loved to quote ancient interpreters as their source of authority— Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes to the source material of God's word, and he interprets it with such stunning clarity, such stunning precision, at least people's jaws drop to the ground in astonishment. 
for two whole chapters, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7 unravels the secret mysteries of how to live the gospel-changed life, how to live a life of deep flourishing. And this should pique our interest, because who doesn't want to flourish? Have you ever wondered, why is it that we spend so much time, energy, Uh, fixated on our financial portfolios, our academics, careers, hobbies? Why is it that we care so much about whether our husbands, our wives, boyfriends, or girlfriends are happy in the relationship we're in? Why is it that we tirelessly scan maybe our, our online dating apps searching for the one? The reason why is because whether we're Christian or skeptics, we are all hardwired to pursue our flourishing. Jesus sees this, and Jesus knows this. And so for two whole chapters, as we have seen in our Sermon on the Mount series, for two whole chapters, he's been telling us where to go. Jesus has been telling us to go to God. Having provided his alternative pathway to deep human flourishing in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to finally conclude his sermon, and he's going to leave us two choices, two options of how we're going to respond. Depending on how we respond to Jesus' teaching, one of those choices will ultimately lead to our ultimate joy, while the other will lead to our ultimate disappointment and fall. And to help us make the right choice, Matthew chapter 5, or sorry, Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27, will show us what our choices are and why our choices matter. So we have two points. The first point, what our choices are, and why our choices matter. Firstly, let's talk about the what. What are our two choices? Well, Jesus employs a little bit of unique and uh, vivid imagery for us here. He says in verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who builds their house on the rock. Did you catch that? And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them They'll be like the foolish man who builds on the sand. Did you catch those two choices and imagery there? Hear his words and do them, which is like building on rock. And then hear his words and don't do them, which is like building on shifting sand. Jesus is giving us two options and only two options. Let's think about who Jesus is applying this to. Verse 24 gives us the hint in the first word. He says, everyone... Everyone who hears my voice. Who's everyone? Jesus is saying, everyone who's within earshot of my voice. We're talking disciples and scribes, Pharisees and farmers. We've got men and women, boys and girls. Everyone who has come to hear him speak. Everyone who has heard anything he had to teach and say in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Anyone who's heard his lessons on things like what does it mean to be blessed? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. What does it mean to live as salt and light in the world? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 14. There's lessons on how to regard God's law, verses, uh, I believe it was 17 to 20. And then he's got long lessons on things like spiritual disciplines, anger, sexual sin, truth-telling, retaliation, love for enemy. His list goes on and on. There's giving, there's anxiety, there's judging others. 
any of you who have heard any of these things Jesus is saying to you today, I'm talking to you. What will you do? Will you hear my words and do it? Or will you hear my words and not do it? There is no in-between. You're either listening and doing, or you're listening and not. For the one who hears these words of mine is like the wise man or woman who builds their house on the rock. And the one who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the foolish man, he says, who builds on sand. Now, let's talk about the word fool. Uh, the, the Greek word for the word fool is moros. Go ahead. You know you want to say it at home. Go ahead. Moros. Don't forget to roll those R's. Doesn't that word sound similar to maybe another English word you and I know, an alternative to the word fool? That's right. The word is moron. You can translate this passage, the one who hears these words of mine, it's like the moron who builds their house on sand. When I hear that, I can't help but think and feel that's a little strong, no? That's a little jarring, Jesus. In fact, it's meant to be. Jesus isn't using the word moron like how many of us choose to use it today, um, nor is he using it in a critiquing way to, to, to mock our IQ levels. He's not doing that. Rather, he's calling out our stubborn insistence, the stubborn insistence of people who know that God's word is good and God's word is right for them, but they don't listen. Let me repeat that again. He's calling out our stubborn insistence as people who know that God's word is good and right for us, but we don't listen. We see examples of people who don't listen to good judgment all the time. Uh, A good example is McMaster University. I went to Mac, and we had this beautiful residence called Les Prince. On the surface, Les Prince was stunning. The only problem was that it was sinking. Nicknamed the Leaning Tower of Les Prince, the team of builders failed to follow through with the most basic rule of construction. That is, always build a strong foundation, especially when you're going to build a high building. The foolish Mac engineer ignores some good and sound wisdom at great cost. It cost a bunch of money to to, to fix that building, and then it led to some big structural problems. Jesus is saying, I've got some good and sound wisdom for you. Are you going to listen to my words, or are you going to foolishly ignore them to the detriment of your soul? Jesus is saying, you have two choices. Hear my words and do them, which is like building on rock. Or hear these words and don't do them, which is like building on sand. Either way, you and I, we need to make a choice. Now, at this time, you're probably wondering why. Why is it so important that we make a choice? That's our second point. Why is it so important we choose the right foundation? Jesus tells us why. If you look at verse 25 to 27, he uses this imagery here of a storm. There's floods, there's rain, there's winds. And the answer why, the answer to our question why, is because a storm's coming. 
most scholars are convinced that the storm Jesus is referring to here is the storm of God's final judgment. Remember what Jesus said last week in our sermon in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22? Jesus references, quote-unquote, something called that day. Well, that day is a reference to final judgment. And so Jesus is concerned about that day. Your choice, he's saying, to hear his words and do it, or to hear his words and not do it, will determine whether we stand or fall on that day. You and I, we haven't experienced the fury of that final storm, but the Bible gives us a glimpse into what that day will look like. It will be a day of good news and a day of bad news. See, the good news will be that God is here, but the bad news is that God is here. It just depends on which side of the property line we're standing on, whether we've chosen to follow and hear his words or we've chosen to hear his words and not follow. Which of the two choices you've made? The Bible tells us when he comes and when he judges, even the mightiest of men, Luke chapter 23, verse 30, the mightiest men will look at him on that day. And as we sit under his judgment, many will cry out for rocks to bury us as we stand under the judgment of God. You can build a nice home of sticks and stones, but if you have not built on the rock, Jesus is saying you will not stand. And there will be nothing but disappointment, sorrow, regret. The Bible says here, great will be your fall. Uh, The Greek uses the word megali, which means mega will be your fall. This should sober us, and this should cause us to ask ourselves, what am I building on? Am I building on a sand foundation, or am I building on the rock? Am I hearing his words and doing it, or am I hearing his words and not doing it? Because there will come a storm that will reveal the quality of our foundation, and how sad it will be, how sad it will be if we fall on that day. Friends, you and I cannot control the storm any more than we can the weather of our days. The only thing we can do is choose the right foundation. Now, as we read this passage and we hear Jesus teaching, there's probably a lot of questions that are coming to your mind right now. So let's interact with a few of these. You might ask firstly, well, Kingsley, what's wrong with Jesus? What's Jesus saying about some of the other good things I can build my life on? What about a foundation of family? What's wrong with building a foundation on work? What's wrong with building a foundation on education? Aren't these good things? Yes, they are. Um, Dr. Vanderweel and his team at Harvard University found that actually there were four domains, family, education, work, and religious social communities, which have a combined and powerful effect on our personal and communal flourishing. And so I, I agree with you on these things. These are good things. These are valuable things, precious things. But without dismissing the value of these things, I think Jesus is asking us here to consider whether these good things make foundational things. Let me ask you three diagnostic questions. Firstly, do you trust in your bank statement and financial plans more than you do Jesus' plan and promise of provision? 
Will you rely on the bonds of family and friends to be your primary lifeline in seasons of darkness, maybe loneliness? Will you rely on your personal enlightenment or your pathway to perfection to allow you to stand before God on the day of judgment? The reason why I ask you these things is because in a recent conversation with a friend of mine, a skeptic, they said that with COVID came a rude awakening. COVID had shown that nothing lasts. They, they, in their words, the financial world is panicking and governments are frantic. Friends and families are split as we resolve to connect with each other through pixelated screens that are limited by our, by our battery life. Furthermore, our health is a game of Russian roulette every time we go into the world and touch something. That's sobering. And what it shows us is that these things are, they're not inherently bad. But what Jesus is trying to show us and tell us is that these things make terrible foundations. They're good things turned into false foundations. These things might be the bricks and stones for beautiful homes, but they cannot be the granite foundation underneath our feet for only the word of God can withstand this storm. Uh, Scripture puts it, all flesh is like grass and all its beauty like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And so we need to consider, what is it that we're standing on? What are you standing on? Will it last forever? Or will it crumble on the day of the storm? You might respond at this time, Kingsley, is Jesus talking about works-based salvation here then? No, I, I don't think he is. Because we know from the gospel message that the reason we walk in obedience to Jesus isn't because of we're trying to earn our salvation. No, we walk in obedience because in Christ we are a new creation, the Bible says. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 5 summarizes this pretty nicely. By this we know, by this we know, we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Our walking is not our ticket fare price into salvation, but rather our walking is a response to the 100% down payment Jesus paid for you and I in him, in his death, in his resurrection. Our work is the evidence that we are indeed living a new life. I love how Kiernan put it in a conversation we had as we discussed this. He says, our fruit, our fruit, the work, is a sign of our root, who we are in Christ. In other words, we do because we are. If you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, following his command is part of who we are. It's part of being a follower you might push back and say, but it's hard. Kingsley, no one can live these words perfectly. And I hear you. When I read this text, that was my first thought. Jesus, you're pushing a hard standard. I agree. I agree. Many of us try to live out Jesus' word. But like cracks in a foundation, 
and water getting through that crack, we, 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 we find ourselves in this place where when we fail to live it out perfectly, it's hard, it's discouraging. Without making excuses, I think that's to be expected. In fact, when you look at our text, Jesus makes no comment or criticism regarding our performance during the housing project, and that's good news. He simply just praises us for being men and women who wisely choose to build on the rock. He says you're wise if you choose to build on his word. When I was about 10 years old, I I remember our basement flooding. It was one of the biggest storms I've ever seen. Uh, The heavy raindrops held a constant tempo as they clacked against the window like a snare drum, howling and and, and sounding, uh, like screaming. Heavy winds shook the house as they brushed their bodies against the walls pounding and thundering. The thunder roared as though the bass line of a marching band was parading in the sky. Meanwhile, water actively pooled through the baseboards of our basement. I remember hearing my mom cry. She screamed, Stephen! Dad rushes down and sees the water, and exploding into action, he grabs the water back from the crawl space. Mom begins to vacuum the water. Dad runs to the garage, grabs his drill, and rips off the baseboards underneath in the basement. Exposing the crack where the water was pooling in, my dad takes his drill and measures, and measures again, and pulls the trigger. The ringing drowns out the storm as he drills into the concrete. He does this a couple times, and after a while, miraculously, the water stops. And if I was to be honest, I don't actually fully understand what it is that he did. He explained it to me multiple times. Um, But that's besides the point. What I did learn and what the point of this illustration is that the foundations may have their cracks as a result of imperfect upkeep. But a wise man and a wise woman know when they have a good foundation. And they know that the smartest thing they can do is not abandon it in the storm, but rather they stick with it. Will you be the wise man or woman who'll stick with what you know is good and what you know will stand, or will you abandon all hopes together and choose to build on sand? If I'm honest, it's hard not to be skeptical at Jesus' teaching right now. After all, at this point, we've only been hearing Jesus' talk. There's not much action that we're seeing here. And so you might wonder, does Jesus even practice what he preaches? Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. If we continue to read the book of Matthew or uh, the Luke or John or Mark, you'll see that in these gospels, Jesus doesn't just talk a big game. Oh no, he plays a big game. He walks. When you consider Jesus' life, we'll see that he makes the daily hard choice of practicing what he preaches. And, and this, this will be the power that overcomes all our skepticism. This will be the foundation and our assurance that his word is good, his word is true, and that it will ultimately lead to our flourishing. Consider Matthew chapter 5, where we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the meek. When you read the Gospels, we see that Jesus was the high king of heaven who incarnated himself as the son of a teenage mom and a carpenter dad. 
And in his adult life, he came down as a man and he walked amongst men and women who hadn't the faintest idea of the cosmic power that was residing within him, yet he did not lord it over the people. Consider what's read in uh, Matthew chapter 5 where it says, Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. Scriptures show us that Jesus embraced the rejects of society. He befriends the outcasts of his day. He refused the riches of the world and the regard of man only to set his heart after the kingdom of God before him. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says that we ought to live as light in the world. Consider what John 8 verse 12 says about Jesus. It says that Jesus is the light of the world. Consider what is often cited by skeptics as Jesus' golden rule. Um, It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus was betrayed by his friends. He was abandoned by his companions. And he stood before a kangaroo court who spat on him, who stripped him, who whipped him, who beat him. He turned the other cheek when you and I we probably would have retaliated. He knelt there silently, bloodied, battered, and bruised, resigned in his inner soul to live as he had taught. Friends, Jesus didn't do unto others as he would do unto them. No, he did better than we did to him. And it doesn't even stop there either. No, no, no. After all this, Jesus is taken to the cross. He's taken to the cross, and after that, after facing the storm of man's judgment, he then takes on the final fury of God's righteous judgment against sinners like you and I. Hanging on a cross, arms spread wide, God's righteous judgment and wrath against sinners is poured out upon him, poured out fully, and taking the fall for us. Taking the fall for us so that we would never have to experience such a fall. Jesus takes the greatest fall. He takes the mega fall of God's judgment so that we would never have to. It's the fall that would lead to his death. And the scriptures tell us he died. He really died. And for three days he laid in a tomb, but he didn't stay dead. No, dispelling any shadow of doubt that his word isn't true. Jesus and death-defying, miracle-working power raised himself from the dead. And so glorious and beautiful and powerful is his resurrection that he is now at the right hand of God where he flourishes forever. It's said in the scriptures that he's given a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, he is Lord. Many have dismissed and heard Jesus' word. They dismissed him as the son of a carpenter. They dismissed him as a transient, influential teacher. They dismissed him as a good and decent man. Some called him a mere charismatic leader. Others, a historical figure. The Jews called him a heretic. Yet, when we consider Jesus of the Bible, the champion that is the Christ, we see that Jesus not only talked the talk, but he walks the walk. 
We see that he is more than just the son of a carpenter. He is more than a historical figure. He is more inspiring than any inspirational speaker. He's more charismatic than the greatest of political leaders. He makes the best of men look bad. And he speaks more truth than any other man that ever was, past, present, or future. He's the historical figures of figures, the most woke of men. He's more compassionate and understanding, more patient and kind than any of the influencers of our day. He's the greatest of prophets. He's the most faithful of high priests. He's the gracious and powerful king. And now, now he sits on the highest throne of heaven. His life is assurance and proof that his word is true. Skeptics, a storm is coming. And I know, I know You want to live a life of flourishing. The only way to do that is to live this gospel-changed life. To start by turning to Jesus. To put your trust in him. To center life on him. And then to do his word. Jesus isn't asking you to quit your job or leave your family. He's not asking you to abandon anybody. But he's asking you to build beneath all of that a life of obedience and submission to his word. If if your foundation is your job, you might lose it. If it's your family, you might get separated. If it's your finances, you might go broke. Friends, a storm is coming, and you have a choice to make. Will you build on that which stands? Or will you build on that which might crumble? Please choose wisdom. Please choose Christ. For the Christians, some of you are discouraged and tired. Life has blown nothing but rocks and water all over your face, and you want to give up on Jesus. Maybe you've given up on Jesus already. Could I offer you a word of encouragement? Keep getting up. To the Christian who wants to give up, keep getting up. And the one who has already walked away, it's time to come home. You and I know in our hearts what's good for us. And we know that following Jesus isn't easy. But we know that in the same way that Christ endured the cross for the joy set before him, so we too, if we have endured, we will flourish with him in eternity. We know that living on the, on the sand is foolishness. Only the rock is where we will stand. And so keep getting up. Keep leaning in. Don't give up. Your foundation is strong in Christ. Well, as we conclude... For the last 23 weeks together, we have heard what Jesus had to say in his sermon. He says, you've got two choices. Hear my words and do them. Jesus concludes second with, hear my words or don't do them. Either way, you have a choice to make. And either way, a storm is coming. What will you do? What will be said of you at the end of the age? Will it be said, great is your fall? Or would it be said, my, look how tall you stand. For in Christ you stand because his word is no sinking stand. Choice is yours.